Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New game day shirt. Boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W. But you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction, eligibility, and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member. FDIC. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. Oh, good run. DK, chance, flag stays down. And Daryl DK imprints his name on an international score sheet for the very first time. And it's unlikely to be the last. Welcome to American State United, presented by ESPN+. Plus. I'm so bloody excited for you to hear today's episode, but before we get into it, oh, thanks to ESPN+, Plus for their support during these cold winter months, when the only thing that can heat my loins is soccer and more soccer, there is one single place that I can go to day or night when I'm looking for my fix, I know Within that smorgasbord, there is going to be a game somewhere in the world that is going to captivate me, move me. That place is ESPN+. I just click on that little soccer ball icon. Hello, friend. It's like being transported through space and time to a footballing realm that has a little something for everyone. La Liga, the English Championship, the hardest competition to emerge victorious from, according to Pep Guardiola, Cup competitions galore and this weekend we're going to go to Bundesliga for Bayern Munich versus Mönchengladbach that is a big one 9:30 a.m. eastern time on Saturday morning that is strong island joe scally's mönchengladbach to you I'm sure they call it that all over germany go back and listen to our interview with mr scally on this very podcast and all you got to do to watch that game this weekend is go to espnplus.com slash gfop. That's espnplus.com slash gfop. But now, to the pod. <laughs> Joining me today, we have a man who is truly an exclamation point in human form. A TikTok maestro with a scorcher of a shot. In the span of just a few short years, he's gone from toiling in Oklahoma in high school obscurity, fueled by big dreams, to making those dreams come true with the US men's national team after storming the English Championship. I adore watching him play. He's a gent who takes the field with a combined sense of both menace and wonder that makes him, by some stretch, the single greatest DK since DKNY. I am thrilled to have him back here with us. If you want to hear the first half of his life story, and I really encourage you to listen to this, go and find the pod that we taped back in April 2021 and be inspired. 
from the US men's national team and West Bromwich Albion who take on Watford this Monday, February 20th at 3pm Eastern Time on ESPN+. Wow-wah to the great Daryl DK. Hello, Raj. Yo, what, what an introduction, by the way. <laughs> that incredible introduction. All I'm doing is relaying your life journey back to you, Daryl. That's what's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it can be exciting a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Let's catch up on so much that has happened since you last came on the show. I want to go back to the start of where we left off. When we last spoke, you were just a few months into your time at Barnsley, up there in Yorkshire, on loan from Orlando City. This was your first taste of championship football. And for those who don't watch, dear listeners, it is a brutal league, a physical (laughs) league, notoriously one of the hardest to play in in the world. Pep Guardiola said that. And you were just a 21-year-old, only your second season as a professional, but you just came out firing on all cylinders. I think you found the net nine times for the Tykes that season, driving the club all the way to the championship playoffs. What was it about Barnsley, Daryl, and that environment that made your transition seem so bloody effortless. Yeah, I think I think honestly I owe a lot of credit to the guys on the squad. I think going there, everyone kind of prepared me every single training session. And it goes into not even just the guys on the squad, it goes into the manager as well. He always would say, you know, train how you play. So, I mean, we go into training, tackles are <laughs> flying in, everyone's <laughs> running all over the place, pressing, everything. So, like, when, he, when it went to the game, it was almost seamless. So, for me, I... I used to try and I obviously try and train how I play. So being in that environment, you know, when I go into the game, I think it helped the entire squad be prepared to, you know, succeed. And succeed, you so very almost did. You got so agonisingly close to the Premier League promised land with Barnsley. So close, I'm sure you could start to almost taste it, really. But it was not to be. Your team lost to Swansea City in the playoff semi-finals. Daryl, to be in a promotion battle like that, to get so close, to see just how much it meant to fans, to players, what was your lasting memory of that truly singular experience? For me, the lasting memory was just the the environment of playoffs and how the fans are. Because I think in the States, obviously playing in the MLS, the fans, I had never played really with fans. And because of COVID, I hadn't played, I hadn't really gotten to experience it like that. So... That, for me, was the first time I'd gotten to properly experience fans on a nice scale. So, obviously, it was the first time I played in front of Barnsley's fans. And then when I went to Swansea away, first time I played in front of fans over there. So, that was just a crazy experience to begin with, seeing the passion, seeing everything, seeing, for me, English football at hand. Because, obviously, growing up in safety, you watch on TV, you hear this, you hear that. But when you're able to actually see it, hear some of the chants, you know, see some of the fans that nice not so nice things that people say it's that was the thing i was like whoa that was the lasting memory that i was like the passion here is crazy you talk about the chants just the good ones the bad ones just the raucous raw amateur (laughs) was there one particular moment that you remember like just been on the pitch and almost laughing oh i just remember i remember when because the first time i went into a barn i went into like because i've never really had fans chant for me at that point like i've never really had it at all so i went out and i just remember hearing the roar like when we were walking out we're warming up right there and obviously the fans haven't even been able to see us play for a while so obviously they were they, they were heightened up as well so the usa usa chance different chance i saw a whole bunch of american flags 
everything. And I was like, whoa, this is, it was different. It was different. Obviously, we would go by, they'd be like, there were people, some people throwing things onto the pitch and stuff like that. If you got too close, it was, it was, it was crazy. I loved it. I love it though. <laughs> well, what, what, what does that feel like? Because we see it, you know, we see it for like Tyler Adams up at Leeds. We've seen it for Austin Trusty. Um, for Birmingham, what what does it feel like when you are playing, you're exerting, you are succeeding, and you hear an English crowd just start to bellow, USA, USA, USA? No, it's great because, I mean, obviously, you. I'm a person who loves to play like with the fans, alongside the fans. They give me momentum. They give me a lot of push. So when I hear specific chants for me, the USA ones, and it kind of tells me, like, oh, you have – a decent little following, you know, people care about you, people watch you, people, you know, people want you to succeed. So when I see that, it gives me more fuel to, to succeed. It gets me amped. It gets me pumped up to play in the games. And even after the games, I love it because it's almost, it gives you a little warm feeling knowing the support that you have, no matter, you know, what the result of the game was. What was the dominant feeling for you walking away at the end of that season? Was it disappointment or hunger? Obviously a little mixture of both. You get, you know, after climbing the table the way we did, I mean, getting to playoffs was so close. But for me as well, it was hunger. Because just like a lot of guys in the squad, we were all young. The manager was young. All of us were young. So we were thinking, this is how, this is how close it is. This is what it takes. The, the little taste of it that we had. And that's just kind of hunger. It makes you, it's more fuel for more, you know, the next seasons going into the next games and things like that for the career because you're like, I want to have that feeling again. I want to be able to be in big games like that all the time. There was talk of Barnsley signing you on a permanent contract at the end of the season if the club had made it to the Premier League, but no promotion meant that the loan ended and suddenly you found yourself back at Orlando City. And I'm curious how much of a gear shift that is for you emotionally to go from high stakes championship promotion battle back in England. You talked about it. You know, I want to play those big games. That's what I want. And suddenly you're back in the familiar warm embrace of mid-season MLS. Yeah, I think I think it kind of geared me up for the MLS season though because I, after going on that loan, for me personally... I have always said I have aspirations of playing in Premier League, playing in Champions League, playing World Cup, you know, playing in these things. So as you said earlier, I had gotten hunger from that and fuel from that experience that I was like, I want to come back and I want to kill it in the MLS. I want to do everything. I want to play in, you know, the MLS Cup. I want to play in these big finals. I want to put myself in the best position to play with the national team and everything. So it just, the high just continued for me. I just kept going. I kept going because I, it was the hunger, it was the desire for me to keep going. It doesn't feel a bit like when you've left home for the big city and then you suddenly find yourself back living with mum and dad in your childhood bedroom. Like, maybe a little bit, maybe a little <laughs> bit, maybe kind of a different feeling. But for me, it was it was different because I had learned so much. I was obviously more in a more familiar place, comfortable place that I'd already been at but I felt like a different person. The place might've been the same, but me, I came back an entirely different person, different mindset, different, you know, technique, everything. So coming back, it was, it was almost like a whole different experience for me as well. So, and it, it was good for me. I and mean, season ended up, you know, turning up very well. You got back to England within the year, signing with West Brom on January the 1st, 2022. West Brom then fighting through the championship mire after having been relegated just the previous spring. I am fascinated thinking back to those first moments, you sitting on the plane to England again, doing some positive visualisation for the months ahead. 
what were you seeing? What was your goal, your mindset upon arrival? My mindset was it's, it's honestly the same thing as when I went to Barnsley. I had, you know, I had the aspiration for to reach the high heights. I had the aspiration to be in the Premier League. And coming to a club like West Brom, I was thinking to myself, this is a huge club. I, I was a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little bit nervous. But you're sitting there thinking, this is a club I used to always watch when I was younger. Like always watch them on TV. I wake up Saturday morning having a bowl of Frosties and I'm watching them. <laughs> I'm watching them play. You know what I mean? And now I'm, my name is on the back of one of their kits. So for me, that was, that was the thought is, well, now's your real chance. Now's your chance to show yourself to, you get another crack at being able to be in the Premier League. You get another crack at, you know, competing in the playoffs and competing in the championship and playing alongside tons of players. I got to actually play with fans, English fans, every single game. So that was my feeling is I was just ready because once again, another experience. I love this. I love this to every listener who is sitting there currently eating Frosties, watching the football, <laughs> being tired, listening to this part of the story. Uh, we've got to set up West Brom, first of all, as a place. It is a proud, proud region in the Midlands, a working class industrial area known originally for its metallurgy industry, particularly the manufacture of coiled springs. It's the heart of the black country, once home to the largest Tesco's in the world. That's its claim to fame. It's supermarket. How would you describe West Bromwich, the area, to someone who's never been there? I feel like it's just like, it's just like a normal city. I think of it almost as like... Uh... English Oklahoma. No, no, no. It's bigger than Oklahoma. I feel like in, like, more like, maybe more like an OKC, like Metro, like Oklahoma City Metro-ish kind of area. Because, I mean, there's different parts of it, obviously. There's, like, West Bromwich, there's, you know, Wolverhampton, which, you know, Club Wolves. There's City Center, which I live towards City Center. There's Sully Hole. There's, it's such a big place. That's one thing that I'll say in terms of, like, an actual city. Because that's one thing I had forgot about is you always think London, Manchester, whatever. But Birmingham's actually the second biggest city. And you don't, talk, you, you don't think about that. It is massive. With, with a history, a story, a culture, and a mad, packed, dense footballing collision of teams all of their own. And West Brom amongst them are one of the most storied clubs in the area. One of the founders of the original Football League. They spent the majority of their 135 years in the top tier, but have struggled since the founding of the Premier League. Been up and down twice in the past five years. The old managerial revolving door spinning, some ownership challenges, so much tradition, though. The fans sing Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. They boing boing when they feel like it after goals. <laughs> As a club, can you give us a concrete example of what makes West Brom different to, say, Orlando City or Barnsley? I think the difference for them is it's the passion. It's the high, the high expectations. So for us, I think you go into every single game, you can see the fans. The fans are always so connected, you know, with the players. Not to say that at Barnsley and Orlando, the fans weren't connected, but that's just something I've obviously noticed. I can walk around the supermarkets and people will be like, oh, hello, hello, can I take a picture? Can I do this? <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that. And everyone's so integrated. They have high, high aspirations for the club to be, you know, at the top of the table, to be going back into the Premier League. And you can see that every single game. All the fans kind of going into the game to uplift us, to let us... Um, you know, give us the extra push in the games. And even our away fans, every single game, there's packed, loud flags, everything, super loud, chants the entire time. As you said, boing, boing, <laughs> everything, you know. And 
I, I love it. I love it. I love the competitive nature of the fans, and I love I love the passion behind it. So that's the biggest thing for me. Can you just describe the boing boing to the listenership who are probably wondering what are these boys speaking about? <laughs> well, it's more because everybody always talks about how the club goes up and down and up and down. So that's kind of a, <laughs> it's, it's kind of the thing now. <laughs> uh, own your strengths and own your weaknesses. <laughs> but you arrived at West Brom, and the early days were filled with challenge. It was agonizing to watch. Just two games in, Daryl, playing Peterborough. It's your home debut. You were taken off in the 53rd minute, a hamstring injury. Is that the kind of thing you know immediately, right? As soon as you have it, do you have a sense of what the injury is? Can you describe that experience? We've often seen it on field as a player grabs their leg and you just kind of know. As a footballer, what do you experience in that second? I remember the ball came across and I tried to jump up, but I was also turning at the same point. And in that point, I felt my hamstring tighten up very, very bad. And honestly, I thought it was just a cramp at first. I thought it was just like a really, really bad cramp. And then I took a few steps and I was like, ow, this really hurts. I can't, I can't move. And then after I obviously went down and I was speaking to the physio and stuff, they had ice. I limped off the pitch. Obviously, I was super, super upset because, you know, that's just not how you want to start. And for me, I was optimistic at first. I was, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was thinking, I was like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. It's not that bad. And then I got the scan and they're like, you actually have a pretty good tear on it. And because m- m- me in my head, I thought it was only going to be like the next two weeks, two, three weeks. And then after it was 12 or <laughs> about, it was about, you know, it was multiple months. So that, that was the hard part for me. I mean, it's, it is agonizing. You're 21 years old. You're at a new club. You're thousands of miles from home. You're away from your family. And I know just how tight-knit the DK family are. And you're finding out, first of all, it was dribbled out that we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks, as you say, and then it kept getting longer and longer and longer till it was defined as a season-ending injury. What is the support network like? And what kind of thoughts go through your head um, in these moments? The whole thought process for me is that, as you said, I'm still young. It could, it's not, it's not a knee. It's not something that'll take months and months and months. That'll take me out an entire year. And it's something that I can correct. It's something that I can get better from. And luckily the staff here and, you know, lots of guys with the U S men's national team, other people have been around to help me in terms of like the physical side, but in terms of the mental side, for me, it was, it's my family, it's my friends, it's, you know, people like you, it's seeing online, it's seeing fans still pushing me, you know, saying, Oh, you're going to come back stronger. You're going to, you're going to do well. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Keep your head up. So people people may think that a lot of players don't actually read a lot of those messages, which I'm not going to lie. I, there's some messages I don't read because sometimes it's not healthy for me to read. It's not, it's not good for my mentals to read. But, you know, you see a lot of those messages and it still makes you the positive messages and everything. And it still gives you a push. And for me, I know the end goal was, as I said, to be at the top, to be the best player I can be, to be in the Premier League, Champion League, do the things and I still was going to be able to do that at some point. Obviously, it's you know not as immediately as I wanted, but I knew I was still going to be able to do that. And that that's kind of the thing that kind of kept me going. That you know you're going to be fine. Like, obviously, it's a rough start, but at the end of the day, I still have a chance. Are you calling home all the time? Yeah, for sure. I'm always in. I'm always literally not too long ago, like while we were on this, my family FaceTimed me <laughs> because they, they seem to always want to, you know, FaceTime each other. But yeah, no, all the, literally every other day or something like that, I'm speaking to them. We always FaceTime. So they, 
they actually came not too long ago. So it's good to, you know, be able to speak to them all the time and have them over whenever I can. I felt a particular agony for you, Daryl. I'm not going to lie. You were still new there. I imagine you were still getting to know your teammates, still trying to integrate yourself into the culture of the place. And to be forced to spend so much time alone rehabbing in that still unfamiliar environment. And by the way, listeners, in football, when you're injured, it can really leave you on the outside of that locker room culture. How lonely of an experience is that? Yes, I think that's one thing people don't really, as you said, a lot of people who aren't in this position don't really know because when you're in, when you're injured, you go in at different times than everybody else. So like when I would go into, because the physios, you know, they have to deal with the first the people who are playing and they also have times for the injured players. So, you know, there's times where I'm in the gym and everybody's outside. I'm by myself with just a trainer. I go into the changing room. I'm one of the only people there. I, you know, even when I was going back onto the pitch, they would all be on one pitch. I would be on the other pitch by myself, you know, just dribbling through cones, doing those things. And it's a pretty lonely world. Because you create a lot of those bonds through training, through eating meals with the players, through traveling and hotels and things like that. Obviously, not trying to turn to a sob story, but like, you know, for me, I didn't have my, I didn't have my family over here. I have friends I've met here, guys on the squad, of course, but you know, you go in there and what's supposed to be your happy place ends up being, you know, kind of your sad place. You know, you're, you're sitting there thinking like, ah, I'm a little bit alone. I don't want to be doing this right now at all. I want to be playing with them. I want to be, you know, doing this, but. It's all right. I think you still obviously get through it. As I said, there's still people who are around. Guys on the squad are still very, very helpful, still reaching out always to push you and, you know, help you, ask you for dinners, you know, nights out, anything. So it, it was still good. Is there a U.S. men's national team support network? Do you hear, do you guys hear from each other? Yeah, 100%. I think even just between the players, all the players, we're all friends. All of us are friends. So I got messages from people. There's guys who live here. So I hang out with, you know, Zach Steffen's here. Christian Pulisic is down. So, you know, there's guys around here that I would that I would hang out with and do things with. And that was something that was big for me as well, is having that familiarity, having those people around. And then on top of that, the staff. I think the staff are very welcoming. They're always, you know, they're all the medical staff specifically, they're always, you know, giving me new ideas, giving me different things to help me get back onto the pitch earlier, staying in contact with West Brom's medical staff to have ideas to say this, say that. And for me, that was that something that was very helpful to have more eyes, knowing that there's tons of people who are, care about me. It was reported at the time that Steve Bruce, who came into West Brom just a few weeks after your injury as a manager, he saw that you were feeling down and offered you the option to go back to America, to rehab, to recover there. And in the end, you declined the offer. And I'm really, I remember reading it at the time and imagining what was going on in your head as you handicapped that decision. Can you talk us through it and what made you say no? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so obviously he had seen just because of, uh, I had a little setback after, um, after, you know, being injured for a while. And he kind of told me, he was like, you can go home, you can see your family, you can, you know, have a little bit of time off. And my thinking when I was doing this whole process was I want to be in the best condition when I come back to playing. I want to be in the best condition. I want to be, you know, looked after and I want to be back as soon as possible. I was just trying to get my rehab and do everything to make sure I'd be good. And I knew if I went home, I felt like maybe that would be a set, a little bit of a setback. I would not be, you know, have the same resources that I do have here. So I just chose to stay here. I chose that I wanted to, you know, continue doing my rehab and I wanted to make sure that I was much, much better before, you know, I went off to the summer and 
did whatever I was going to do. West Brom, should be said in this time, had a fair amount of managerial turnover. Steve Bruce came in a month after you, replacing your former Barnsley manager, Valerie Unismael, and he was out eight months later. In the end, you played just one game under him. How much of a relationship do you, or how do you even approach building a new relationship with a manager who didn't bring you in and who you're not playing in under week in, week out? I was going into a thought process that I wanted to... He's a manager. He wants to help me. He wants to, you know, be my friend. He wants to help me be, have a successful career. And he also wants to win games. And Steve Bruce, as a manager, that's someone that you you can already tell that that's the kind of person that he's like. I think, personally, he is incredible. Every person on the squad liked him. Everybody loves him. And he's he's almost like, what can I say, like team grandpa or something like that, or team dad. But he's like, he would crack jokes. He was funny. He's a great person to be around. And he's also very, very empathetic. And I think for me, he was always around when he would walk into the changing room, you know, sometimes watch me while I was doing my rehab, talk to me while I'm doing my rehab, offer to go on coffee, things like that. So that was, and it's good to have that kind of person and create that relationship because, you know, in my head, I mean, it still could happen, of course, in the future, who knows what happens, but I, I was going to play under him at some point. I was, you know, I was still going to be playing under him at some point when I came back and returned. And of course, just to have that relationship, because I'm a big people person, to just have a relationship, another relationship with me, it was, it was good. It was good to be at half. And you finally did make your return at the beginning of this season. You started West Brom's opening game against Middlesbrough. But in another cruel twist of fate, and stay with us, listeners, it does get towards a happy ending. <laughs> but you picked up a thigh injury. I remember, again, the agonising news breaking. You're out again until the beginning of November. You managed just four appearances in your first 10 months at West Brom. And you've described this, honestly, as the, quote, most difficult time of your life. All that waiting, working your way back just to be struck down again. How do you keep that frustration? You talk about your mentals. How do you keep your frustration from spiraling into a really unproductive place? I think going back, going back to what I thought about at the beginning, which was the end goal. And I always told myself that I will be able to play. It's not a career-ending injury. It's not anything like that. And I'm going to be able to play. There's still tons of time throughout the season that I'm going to get my chance. And I just have to go and find solutions and things like that. Maybe, why is this happening? Why is my body not, you know, cooperating as much? Some people could just be like, you know, you're just unlucky, which sometimes it's just the nature to be. Sometimes you are unlucky. But for me, that was the thought process is I'll be back. I'm going to continue playing. And, you know, at the beginning, talking to fans, talking to my family, talking to friends, talking to other players, everything, the big support group around me just kept pushing me. They kept, kept, kept pushing me. And so having that kind of, uh, you know, foundation below you is – it's, it's something great to keep pushing me to know that even though I'm having these injuries that when I come back, you know, things are going to be great. Things are going to be good. And I'm going to be smiling on the pitch again. Talking to the second half of the season, we want to remind viewers that you can watch Daryl D and his mighty West Bromwich Albion take on Watford. Tasty Battle of the W's this Monday, February 20th, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+. Plus. Just go to ESPNplus.com slash GFOP, sign up, and you will feast upon the smorgasbord of mighty football that is available there, including this battle for the championship playoff spots this season. An all-time scrap with knuckle dusters. So many teams still within touching distance. Glory, agony, 
take the field almost every game. I absolutely cannot wait to watch this one. Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including so many of my favorites, California, Texas, and Georgia. God speed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving double P, Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season. Is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because Price Picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. Always bold, always smooth. Yes, that is the very same Stoke as in the mighty Wrexham Fortress, known as the Stoke Kairas or the Stoke Racecourse, Wrexham AFC's home. They support it. They support football, which is just one great reason to love this coffee. It is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar, essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48-ounce cold brew products, something for everybody, from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi-serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. And be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. There was a silver lining to your protracted injury battle. It said it gave you a lot of time for introspection. And it was around this moment, late August, when I think you made a remarkable self-discovery, essentially a breakthrough in modern science, revealing on TikTok that you'd accidentally been using dish detergent <laughs> to wash the DK laundry for eight months. You showed the bag in the video, and I truly love this. The soap is lemon-scented. It claims yeah. to shine, scrub, degrease. Not necessarily the top three things I'm looking for in a laundry detergent, if I'm being honest. Take us there, Daryl. Uh, okay, so the story, in all honesty, right? So I bought the bag, <laughs> and I bought a big bag because I'm like, okay, I'm going to be washed and do my laundry. You're whatever. a value so- shopper. Exactly. So after I got after I got the bag, I just put it under my sink. So every single time I went over, I would just grab it and I'd put it in. And I vividly remember for a while just being like, you know, my washing machine just doesn't wash very well. I don't know why it just doesn't wash very well. Like, it's all right. But like, I just never thought it washed very well. So obviously, I reached the end of the bag and I pulled it out and I was looking at the brown. I looked at the bag and I was like, is that a wine glass on the bag? <laughs> I was like, why is, it, why is there a wine glass on the bag? And then obviously I sat there and I read and I was like, this is too funny for me to even just keep to myself. So I had to just tell everyone. I still get jokes to this day. People, I have got people, tons of people have bought me laundry detergent. Now I have, I've had like four different people 
like four different boxes of laundry detergent literally in my cupboard right now as we speak. <laughs> I must say, never let it be said about Daryl DK that his clothes are not the most shined, scrubbed, and degreased clothes in uh, English football. But I am fascinated by it all because navigating the intricacies of the English washing machine seems to be a bizarrely prevalent problem for American footballers in England. When Rose Lavelle and Sam Mewis were at Manchester City a couple of seasons ago. I asked both of them, we did an interview, um, what was the biggest challenge, the biggest culture shock they'd had trying to adapt to English life? And without, you know, I thought they'd talk about the culture of Manchester or like the rain or whatever, but without having to think, they both immediately said the hardest single thing they'd had to encounter was how small English washing machines are. Yeah, they're tiny. Uh, that's the thing. You can put like barely any clothes in them for one. And on top of that, I feel like majority, majority of them, they have so many different settings that I was looking at it and I was just like, I don't even know half of these settings are. I don't know. Cause in the States, it's just like hot, warm, cool, cold, not every single degree. It doesn't have all these different things. In England, there's a setting for quite dirty. How do you want your clothes? I'll have it quite dirty, very yeah. dirty or barely clean. Yeah, exactly. And then trying to figure because mine also it dries and it it washes and dries. Fancy. So like, I've never had one of those, and so trying to figure that out was just a mess as well. I'm like, oh. God, I do remember <laughs> now being like one of my early months as an American over here when I was a teen, just like marveling at the size of the appliances. It does work both ways, and you are you are quite a TikTok bloke. The dish soap video is definitely a double D all timer. But you've had a lot of great hits over the past few years. And um, we talk so much and think so much about the pressures of social media, how insidious it can be. But the reality is, it also seems like such an incredible release for you. The flip side seems to be a place where you're having a great time. What role can social media serve in your life as a footballer? It almost seems for you, it's like what golf is to Gareth Bale, just like a way to relax. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean... I think I'm generally, you know, jokester, creative, do different things. And TikTok is kind of my way. TikTok, not even just TikTok, social media in general is my way of connecting to a whole bunch of people to, you know, show them how I really am. So I think when you go on the pitch and you play, you obviously, you know, you see interviews, you see these things. Obviously, players are a little bit different than they are, like, behind closed doors. You know what I mean? And... When you go on social media, for me, that's where I can be more authentic, where I can be more comfortable and, you know, have a little bit more release. And that, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy connecting with people. I enjoy having fun. I enjoy just doing whatever, <laughs> doing whatever I can and having fun. <laughs> do, you, do you have a dream TikTok guest star, someone you've always wanted to collab with? Dream TikTok guest star? Honestly, no. I've never actually thought about that, but... That is a good idea. I would love to start getting more teammates because honest, honestly, I've only ever had myself in my TikToks. I've never actually had other people in them. So that's something I I kind of want to, I might do. If I could get some big footballers, obviously like you know, Messi, things like that and would be crazy. But like any footballers, even around England, stuff like that would be, ooh, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be cool. I know you also played a fair bit of FIFA during your recovery and it kind of slipped your notice that you are currently, this is kind of incredible, the strongest man on FIFA after Adebayo Akinfenwa's retirement last year. That is some, we've had uh, Adebayo on this show, that is some mantle to inherit. Yeah, it's, pre it's pretty crazy, honestly. Thinking about all the footballers in the world, all the footballers in the game, that I was the strongest player. I think 
for me, I was happy because I've been playing people all the time. So being able to have that kind of status, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, I felt happy about myself. But uh, yeah, Oof. I'm still like surprised. It's still surprised to be honestly looking at it. It's crazy. Was there some ceremony where Akin Fenwa himself passed on his crown? Yeah, he posted something on Instagram, basically, uh, like, passing the crown. Because it's me, and then there's another player. I forgot what his name was, but we're, we're both the strongest player. So he, it's almost like him passing the crown to both of us. And I was kind of, it, it, was, it was cool. And I messaged him or whatever. Because I played against him when I was at Barnsley as well. I have his kit, a swap kit. We both swap kits and everything. So it's, it, it, was, it was sick. It was, it was cool. So being able to do that, I was like, ooh. Double A to double D. I've got to tell you, God, he is a beautiful, self-aware, deeply genuine, intelligent gent. I adore him greatly. But, you know, thinking back to these months in which you're trying to entertain yourself, keep your energy up as you rehab these back-to-back injuries, all the while the World Cup's getting closer and closer. In the back of your mind, do you keep telling yourself there's a chance you can make that roster if you work hard and recover in time? Yeah, for sure. For for me, that was one of the one of the obvious difficult parts about the, the second injury was that I was going to be potentially out for the World Cup, which is what I had been working towards a lot of the year, thinking that I could be I could be playing in the World Cup potentially. So, yeah, as the World Cup was approaching and seeing myself starting to get fit and getting fitter, I was I was happy because I was thinking, okay, maybe I can I can play a few games, I can squeeze some time in, and I'll be able to be fit for the World Cup. So. Those are those things. Are you hearing from the coach in that period? Is is Greg Berhalter reaching out to you, t- in touch, monitoring you? How does that how does that side of things work? Um, it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily him. It was more like the it was more the medical team. They were saying, "How are you doing? How are you coming in? How are you uh, are you playing? Like, what's the what's the kind of idea? What's the plan for you in terms of these last games leading up into the international break?" So telling them, keeping them all updated, and and stuff like that. I was kind of uh, me still having the little bit of hope that I could have a chance. You know? Is that what you're doing? Are you always keeping that crevice of magical thinking? Or is there, was there a moment when you just resign yourself to the hard truth, the awful fact that the World Cup 2022 for you was not going to happen? I think that was when it was on our third to last game and it was about a week and a half going into the break. I was thinking to myself, I'm, I'm not playing in this game. There's a very, very, very slim chance that anything will happen. On top of that, I hadn't spoken to to the manager very much at all. So I was thinking to myself, uh, this is, uh, you know, it's not looking good. I had already known that it was a little, it was already a long shot. It was going to be a very difficult thing with all the players who have been playing, doing very, very well at the time. So it, I knew it was going to be difficult for me to be in, considering I hadn't played in months and months and months. So uh, I already knew it was a long shot, but... Yeah, I was a little, I was upset. I was upset. I'm not going to say I wasn't. I mean, you are a highly competitive human being, Daryl. Someone who sets his mind to task over and over and over again. This is something I really admire about you. And then you go out and accomplish them. I mean, you are a gentleman that does things rather than talks about them. Um, How do you process that feeling, that disappointment? Yeah, I I was disappointed. But my thing was... There's still many World Cups I can play. 2026 is the next one, and I just have to work to myself and know that when it comes, I want to be the starting striker. I want to be playing. I don't want to just be there. I want to be playing. And I have that one. I have another one. Who knows? If I play till I'm 34, I could play in 2034. I could, <laughs> you know what I mean? And 
that's and, and that's that's my thing is this isn't the last World Cup. I will still have a chance. I will still have many other chances. And I know it's been one of my dreams since I was a kid, and it still is my dream. It's still there, and it's still achievable. So that was that was the the one thing that I could lift my head up about that it wasn't my last one. I'm going to be able to get other chances. Now, DK, if you play when you're 34 at the World Cup, you'll look back at your centre backs, and Tim Ream will only be 73, and he'll still be <laughs> <laughs> still be flicking along. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so you had the experience, like the rest of us, watching the World Cup from home, but these are your friends you're watching on the national team, playing in those games, knowing that it could have been you if things had gone a bit differently. And by the way, my Lord, the US needed goals. Daryl, take us there. Where did you watch? Was it hard to watch at all? I once spoke to Crystal Dunn about what it's like to watch a World Cup when you are not in it. She talked about it being an utter agony, um, knowing that you nothing you wanted more in your heart other than to be you playing. Yeah, of course. There's a there's the selfish thought in your head. You're sitting there thinking, "Man, I really wish I was here. I really wish I was on that pitch. I really wish I was I was playing." But also for me, the realization had already kind of set in. And from that point, I'm looking at it for my friends. I'm looking at it for you know all my friends that are on the pitch that I'm seeing there supporting. I want them to win. Being able to you know how cool it is to know someone who's playing in the World Cup. <laughs> like that's something when you're younger you you only think about. And now I actually think. Oh, I know, I know all these players. These are all my friends that I train with. I know all of them. And so seeing that I turned into a fan, I was watching here with some of my other teammates when England was playing and stuff like that. And oof, we, everyone's, it's just a big, it's a big, big thing. Obviously everyone's talking crap to me. I'm talking crap to them, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, um, it's hard of course, because you want to be there, but I've always been a fan of the, you know, our, our team. So being able to, be part of it, be, you know, know how much people who are part of it. It turned me into even, you know, more of a super fan. You are what you're a beautiful hearted human being. Are you watching as a fan, you know, as, as, as Christian Pulisic penis that ball into the net, you're just like, yes. Or are you also watching thinking, my God, if I was on that field, I, you know, I can get to, I, I mean, you have a sense of the inner workings of the team tactically. Were you as a, watching as a fan or did you feel like, oh God, if I was there, yeah, of course. I mean, that, that's just human nature. I think both of those, both of those things. One, you know, we're winning, we're doing well, we're playing well against all these top teams. I'm a fan. I'm cheering. I'm screaming on my couch. You know, I'm screaming. I'm screaming in all these places and being happy. But obviously, you're thinking in the back of your head, man, what if? What if that was me? What if that was me playing? What if I scored one of these goals or I was in that position or, ooh, maybe I could have done this. You know, and. Those are obviously just what ifs. You can always have what ifs. You can always do that. So I think it's just having to balance that. I never really got upset. I'll never say I, I, I get upset because I think after that point, I'd already the the realization had set in. But watching the, watching the game, you know, human nature. Of course, you're going to sit there and think, "Ooh, if only what could have been." Yeah, I felt the same, and I was. I've never. Been, I still have never been called up for the national. <laughs> you can still come. In twenty, we'll we'll play in twenty thirty four together. Please God, I'll still be ten years younger than Tim Ream. But you finally, you finally made it. This is where the story reaches up to a crescendo. Return to football joyously mid-November, right before the World Cup. You played just ninety-six minutes of competitive football in the calendar year to that point. Now, going so long without playing mentally, 
Does any doubt start to creep in about refinding your form when you first step on that field? You know, during that first lung busting run, that first crunching tackle from a defender. Can you take us mentally into what goes on inside your mind? A hundred percent. I think for me, especially because of injuries, I was thinking you almost lose a little bit of faith in your body. You think, can I sprint like this? Can I jump like this? You want to pull and pull out of tackles. You don't want to do do certain things because. You know, you're sitting there getting little flashbacks to how this happened last time or why this happened. So you get a little scared to do a few of those things. And it takes you a few games. It takes you a few training sessions. It takes you a few times to, you know, tell yourself, oh, it's all right. Your body can do this. Your body can do this and it's fine. And I think that's something people kind of forget is they think that, oh, this player, I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about other players. Like, oh, this player just came back from injury. He's playing. He should be fine. But it takes it takes a little bit of time. So that was one thing for me. And on top of that, playing to, you know, hopping into a because the championship's a fast paced game, you know, tackles flying in, things doing everything. And I hadn't been on the pitch for a while. So when I was when I hopped in the game, I was like, Whoa, this is I've not experienced this for a while. So it had to I definitely had to take it a little bit slow and think extra hard, okay, I'm supposed to be here, I'm supposed to be doing this. And you remember, oh, this is a touch that this is you know, this touch goes here, this goes here. You're not saying you forget per se, but there's little things that when you're playing tons of games week in, week out, you remember, you just kind of do it almost as if it's muscle memory. But after not playing for many months, you're sitting there thinking, okay, I got to rejog my memory, you know, retrace my steps. How did I do this? How did I do this? What am I good at? You know, having to learn my teammates again, because I had never played with many of them either. So <laughs> learning all those things is, you know, it was many different things going through your brain in those first games. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% off setting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You obliterated any doubt, either in your mind or in the mind of West Brom fans, almost instantly. What we've witnessed, spoiler alert, since your return, really a true 
DK Naissance, three <laughs> goals in nine games. That first strike, you rose up against Sunderland. I think it was your second game back and slapped the ball home with your meaty Oklahoma forehead. <laughs> what, what did that feel like emotionally scoring after so many hard months off the field? Yeah, that, that moment was, it was great. It was incredible. The game was freezing. It was so cold. But, <laughs> <laughs> so cold. One of the coldest games I've ever played in. But it was, it was a great feeling because I looked back on it. And so you just, as a striker, you want to score goals, of course. You want to win games. You want to do other things, but you want to score goals. So for me, it was kind of knowing that, oh, I still have it. I could still play. I could still do well. I can still succeed. And after, it's like a big sigh of relief. It's a big weight off my shoulders to know, like, once that goal went in and then turning around after I'd scored the goal and seeing how happy the squad was because they've seen how, you know, down I was. They've seen all that I've kind of gone through during these months. So being, you know, having that support during that moment was, it was incredible. And then also we, it was, it was to put us in front as well. So, so I did also score a goal. So it was, it was great. It was it was a great experience. You've been out for so long, and I am interested. What are your personal goals now, the rest of this season? Do you try and temper expectations, focus on staying fit for a prolonged period, or do you have a sense burning inside that you want to make up for lost time? Uh, no, I don't think you can go and you know rush things and make up for lost time. But for me, the goal is it's the same goal since I came here, and it was to go to the Premier League. And I think we have the squad to do it. We have the staff to do it. We have the players to do it. We have the fan base we have everything to to do it and recently we've seen we've seen that with the squad shooting from 24th shooting from last in the division to now we're in playoffs right now we're in the playoffs division right now so being able to do that we have the chance and that that for me is the goal that, that is the number one goal is to help the team win games and i think we can Yours is a story of rejuvenation and West Brom's season has been a story of rejuvenation. Um, as you say, really cellar dwellers early in the season. They are now in sixth place in the championship, that final coveted playoff place. Very tight, it should be said, in the middle of the championship table right now. The transformation um, has undergone since the arrival of manager Carlos Corberan, who's done just an incredible job. What's it been like from the inside? Give us a blast. Well, everybody in this podcast has alliterative initials. We've had uh, Akin Fenwa, Daryl DK, Carlos Corberan, double C. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's a great manager. Super, super good manager. I think if I were to say one word about him, it is intense. Everything he does is intense. Training, intense. We have video sessions. Those are intense. And he's very, very tactical. I think that's one thing that we have, you know, we've kind of learned, we've done very well to, you know, take in through all of his teachings. And I think every single training session, that's one of the things he emphasizes so much is his tactics, his style of play. He's so focused and so smart on analyzing the opponents to set us up on the right, you know, the right formation, right tactics. And that's the thing i think that's a, that's the things that we have uh improved on this year is having this uh you know having the identity having the passion having the fight having the desire to to go out there and win games and having a great mentality is just one of the few biggest things he always stresses that no matter what he can give us these tactics he can give us these things but if we don't work none of it matters none of it is going to matter and so you see that during the game people flying into challenges winning everything you know competing and i think i i, I and that's a, and it's a big reason we're winning games now of course 
God, I'm listening to you. Daryl, it's hard for me to believe you are still just 22 years old. <laughs> you, you, you've packed so much um, into your life. The first conversation we had was really about focusing on goals and achieving them, making it seem almost effortless from the outside, even though after speaking to you, I gained a sense, I think all listeners did, about just the sacrifices, the dedication you put into it. This second phase has really been about, about trials, about challenges. You've spoken before about your long-term goals, you know, to play in the Champions League, to appear in World Cups. Just, just over a year ago, you did a really lovely interview with ESPN, you just signed for West Brom, where you talked about how your dreams felt more reachable than they ever had before. And I'm curious, given this year of setbacks, disappointments, tribulations, do these dreams still feel close? Or, or, or what do you say to yourself to keep them uh, from feeling as in reach as ever? Absolutely. They all still feel close and they all are still so reachable. As you said, I'm only 22 years old. And after having all these setbacks, I think it has just made me stronger. I'm not going to go and tell you that I wanted to have these setbacks. Of course, I did not. But throughout these setbacks, I've learned more about myself. I've learned more about my body. I've learned more about, you know, on the mental side, everything that I think will carry on throughout my entire career and it improves me as a player improves me as a person not even just in terms of football improves me as an overall person in life and having these setbacks can you know it just made me stronger it made me have this bigger hunger to go and get these things to go and achieve these goals just because i i have such a high passion for it i'm almost crazy of hunger for it now and seeing seeing all my friends that they're able to do it, it makes me I'm not gonna lie, it makes me jealous. I want to I want to be able to do some of the things. You're telling me I don't want to be like Christian Pulisic and win Champions League and play in World Cups and do these things. Of course I want to, you know. Of course I'm happy for everything he's doing, but I look at it and I think, oh, that looks great. That is what I want to work for. I want <laughs> I work great. for this. And that looks that looks like fun, you know. Not to say he hasn't. He's worked so hard for everything he does, but as a person, you see all those things and you're like, wow. And I think I am so close, you know, you're so close and you have the right tools. I just have to continue working and keep doing those things to be able to do. And I know for myself, say I don't reach those goals at the end of my career. If I continue and work super, super hard and do all the things, I'm still going to be happy. I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy that I push myself to try and get those goals and I'll be happy in whatever position that I am. Cause if I didn't have those goals, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I would be, you know, I would still be, I don't know, who knows if I even be playing. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't know where I am right now. But having those goals is the thing that keeps pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. I've got to tell you, what, one thing about you that I adore, you make everything sound great. I've got to tell you, when, when, you said, <laughs> when you said eating a bowl of Frosties watching television, I was like, oh, that's my life goal. I want that. <laughs> I want that totally But you, you, you put yourself in a position to achieve even greater things than that. World Cup 2026 is now on the horizon. I don't know if you've heard, dear listeners, but it's going to be in the United States as well as Canada and Mexico. But an incredible historic moment for the game in our nation. Does the anticipation of that stay front and centre in your mind for the next four years? Or, or do you put it in a box in the back of your mind and just focus on the present? Yeah, I think for me, I've always kind of, I, ha I do have that end goal, those big goals that I want. But I also realize that there's a whole bunch of little steps that I have to take to get those goals. And so for me, I look more at the little step, still looking up at the big goal, but taking all those little steps. And yeah, of course, playing on home soil, 2026, 
tons of new fans, you know, football growing so, so, so much in the States. So just thinking about how it's going to be in 2026 is just, it's just mind blowing, honestly. And so that is, it's, it's exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. And as I said, it's a, it's a dream for me. And then to be able to do it on, you know, in front of our own fans is, <laughs> and no one no one is going to have more degreased clothes at that world cup than daryl dk daryl last question when we first spoke you talked about the magic of your career every stage of life which was that you set your mind on something college the pro game the championship and you go out make it real you ace it and as I said, this second chapter has been much more about facing adversity with courage and retaining self-belief. What is it that you've learned about yourself in that process that we can all learn from? I've learned about my ability to rebound and to stay positive. I think no matter what, I always kind of tell myself that things can almost always be worse, that to look at the end goal for things and that a lot of the time when you're upset and you just want to sit there and you want to be upset, that's not going to help anything that you have to go do something. You have to be proactive if you want to be happy, because if you sit there and you just let the, you know, sadness, the bad thing kind of suck you up and eat you, that's all you're going to think about. And it's, you're not going to have fun. You're not going to be enjoying it. So for me, it was doing the flip side of everything is how can I improve? How can I change this feeling that I have rather than sitting here and, you know, being stuck with this feeling, how can I get rid of this feeling? How can I change it? And having that desire to, you know, change it, to be happy. And that that's the main thing that I've learned throughout this is just how can I be happy? What will make Daryl happy? Oh, that is a tattoo that I should get on my forearm. What <laughs> would make Daryl happy? Daryl PK, you really are an inspiration to all of us. We're so bloody glad to have you back on our screens. Godspeed to you, to your team and your family for the rest of the season. Thank you so much. Courage. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.